If you have your Bibles, I want you to go with me this morning to the book of Romans, the first chapter. This is going to be verses 20 to 23. I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. This is Paul speaking. He says, For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We know that it's life. We're just asking you, God, to speak that life through us and into us. Help us to follow after you with our whole hearts. And we give you praise for that in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to leave a thought with you this morning simply called this, Before I Knew Him. Would you say that with me? Before I Knew Him. Paul, in this passage, lays out, he, he, he makes a declaration. And what he says is plainly, He's saying that everyone has the ability to see God before they know God. Say that with me. I saw him before I knew him. This is how. He said, Paul makes a statement. He says, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, so they have no excuse for not knowing God. In other words, everything around you, all of creation testifies to the evidence that there is a God. I thought about what he said. He said even though they knew God, they didn't acknowledge him as God. And they, they came up with all these crazy things of what God looked like. Have you ever talked to someone and had them tell you this? Well, I just think that God is going to... Or, I, I, I just believe that God is like, anybody ever hear something like that? And, and I thought, it's almost like, I get this feeling like people think they got a box of Play-Doh. <laughs> and I just get to shape God any way I want to. I just, well, I just think God's like this, you know, and I think he's like, I was never any good with Play-Doh, <laughs> Well, what's your point? My point is that God has a specific nature and that no matter what we think about God does not change God. Are you with me? But Paul is making a statement because I, I, I had a man call me here recently. He was talking to me and he said, but what about, you know, the end? He said, you know, all, what about all these like tribes of people that have never heard the gospel? Here's your answer. He said, before, he, he said, everyone, he said, all of creation testifies to the existence of God. So they're without excuse. 
What we do is we try and westernize everybody. How many of you know that God is big enough to communicate the gospel to a foreign tribe in a way that they're able to understand it? And so he's going to make sure. And Paul says they're without excuse because all of nature testifies to the fact that there is a God. And I thought about this. I thought about how does that happen? And have we seen that before? Is there evidence of that? There's clear evidence of it in Scripture. So let's take a look at it. When we think about Moses and Pharaoh, right? So Moses goes before Pharaoh and he says, God has said, let my people go. And Pharaoh looks at him and says, is that right? He said, well, I, matter of fact, let me just read you his words. He makes a statement. He said, who is the Lord? Why should I listen to him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. Stubborn rascal, isn't he? <laughs> but I'm telling you that before God gets done with him, he is going to testify to the fact that there is a God. And the truth is, is he knew him before he knew him. Hang on to that phrase with me. Because I knew him before I knew him. Let me share my story. Not raised in church, didn't have the gospel preached to me. But as a young boy laying out in my yard, I looked up and I watched the trees in the wind swaying. I saw the clouds billowing and it was just like someone had painted a picture in the sky. I saw birds spreading their wings and taking flight. And I laid in the grass and looked up and made the statement, there's got to be a God. Somebody had to put all this together. It couldn't just have happened. And even though and I was just a young boy and not educated at all, but, but, or a minimal education, you know, I was five or ten, or ten years old. Think about this. Think about people that have a great education. And for them... It ought to even be more clear because think about the fact that we are hanging on nothing. <laughs> that we are positioned in such a way that if we move just a little closer, not you don't have to go much closer, just a fraction closer to the sun and we burn up. Move back just a fraction from the sun and life cease to exist because it cannot sustain it. Take us, change the, the, the way that the atmosphere is just, just by a, a, a minuscule amount and we can't breathe. We are the only planted in the stratosphere that can sustain life. And I'm telling you, I knew him before I knew him. Everything around testified to his existence. And so Pharaoh says, I don't know the Lord and I'm not going to let him go. God said, well, we'll see about that. Do you know that Egypt worshipped nature in and of itself, that the gods of Egypt were connected somehow to nature? And so what happens, everybody say 10. 
The number 10 is significant in biblical numerology because it, it, it implies fulfillment. The number 10 implies fulfillment. So you have 10 commandments. In other words, you have a fulfillment of God's moral law. There is a fulfillment of that. You have 10 plagues, which is saying they are completely plagued. Everybody say fulfilled. He's trying to finagle out of God's grip and God won't let him go. So the first thing that happens is he turns the water into, I knew you were going to say that. That is not, well, I'm not talking about Jesus. I'm talking about Moses. Y'all got wine on the mind. Okay. <laughs> the first thing that Moses does is he turns the water into what? Blood. He, and, and what water is it that gets turned into blood? The Nile River. Do you know that the Egyptians had a God that was connected to the Nile River? So what God is doing is he's spoiling their idols. He's spoiling their false gods right before their eyes. He's taking control and he's saying, there is no other God but me. He begins to show himself. The Egyptians had a God that represented fertility. The idol to that God was a frog. And what what does God do with the frogs? He puts them in their beds. We'll talk about a fertility, God. I'll put a frog in your bed. <laughs> Just, he, he's, got them, he's got them all over the place. And it's, it's a little comical. There's a God that they have that represents the earth. And what does, what does God do with the dust from the earth? He makes it lice. All you got to do is talk about that a little bit, and everybody starts scratching their head. Do you know that, that that plague is the one that caused the, all the magicians, all the sorcerers to say, this is the finger of God, man. <laughs> they backed off. And he continues to demonstrate that he's God. Pharaoh knows, but Pharaoh won't relent. He won't give in. How many times have you met someone and they, you knew that they knew down deep in their heart that there's a God? but they won't surrender to him. So it comes down to the last plague. He's going to take the firstborn's life. The Bible said that there was a cry throughout Egypt unlike any that had ever been heard before. And Pharaoh called for Moses, and they stood before him, and Pharaoh's son is dead. And he looks at Moses and he said, get your people Get your women and your children, your cattle and your herds and your flocks and get out of my presence. And as they're walking out, he looks at him and he said, and bless me also. I'm not going to serve your God. I'm not going to live for your God. I'm not going to follow your God, but I want him to bless me. There was a, a, it is a twisted way of thinking. There was a cry that was heard unlike had ever been heard before. Can I tell you there's another cry that's going to come on this earth and it's when all of a sudden people wake up one morning and find out we're gone. All of a sudden they look around and they start saying what happened to them. They told me about this event. They told me this would happen when all of a sudden in a moment one 
one's in the field, one's taking the other left. Uh, two in a bed, one's taking the other left. Do you understand that we are in the end of the end times? Uh, that this is not a time to begin to hunker down and cover our head and say, oh God, what are we going to do? This is a time to lift up our face uh, and look to the mountains for whence cometh our help uh, because God is in control. I thought about what happened. I was in Trinidad when I thought about how they worshiped and they, Pharaoh says, bless me also. I was talking to a man, his name was Prim and he was a Hindu. He worshiped all kinds of gods. I was talking to him about Jesus and he said, oh, I worship Jesus. And I looked at him, I said, Prim, how many other gods do you worship? And he looked at me and I said, Prim, let me ask you a question. I said, if your wife kisses you Monday and says, baby, I love you with all my heart, and Tuesday she's kissing a different man, telling him the same thing, and Wednesday another man, and Thursday another, and all through the week another man, I said, how would you like that? And he didn't answer me. And I looked at him, I said, would you like that, Prim? And Prim said, no, I would not like that. I had no clue that that's what was going on in his life. But God knew. And I said, Prim, Jesus is not one of many. He is the only one. He is the only one. At that moment, Prim jumped up and he ran out of the house that we were in. And the pastor's wife that was standing there with the pastor said, did you feel that? Did you feel that? And I thought, well, yeah, man, I felt that. I, she said, no, no, the earth shook. I looked at her and I smiled. I said, I didn't feel the earth shake. I thought she was just trying to make me feel good. Oh, you made the earth shake. Yeah. I said, I didn't feel the earth shake. I said, but I, I, I felt what I was saying. The next day in the newspaper, it came out that there was an earthquake on Trinidad that day. I'm telling you, God, let me, let me just tell you something. You can't play patty cake with God. God knows your ins and your outs. He knows your ups and your downs. He knows your conniving and your manipulation. And he loves you. I said he loves you. Do you understand that he's not going to throw you away? He's going to get, uh, he's going to get your attention <laughs> until you yell, uncle. You ever play that game? I need a volunteer. <laughs> Twist that arm up behind her back. Yell, uncle. I always wondered why they didn't say, yell, aunt. God wants us to acknowledge him and move toward him. Look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They are told by Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, he said, you're going to have to bow down and worship me when you hear this music, he built a big golden idol and they, they were supposed to bow down and worship. Well, these boys wouldn't worship. He finds out about it and he's hot. Everybody say hot. You ever see your mama get mad? You ever see your daddy get mad? We never like to use that term, I'm, I'm upset with you now. Look, when you're foaming at the mouth and you got veins popping out on your head, you're mad. You know what I'm talking about? I told you. Come here. Where's the belt? 
mad. Nebuchadnezzar gets mad, and when he gets mad, he looks at those boys and he said, now listen here, I've been told that you won't bow down. I'm a good guy. I'm giving you another chance. When they worship, when they begin to play that music, if you bow down and worship, everything's going to be all right. But boys, if you don't, I'm going to french fry your carcass. There's going to be a hot, fiery furnace, and I'm going to heat it up, and I'm going to throw you in, and you tell me who is that God that can deliver you out of my hand? I like what their response is. They looked at him and smiled at him and said, man, I don't even have to think about this. Let me tell you straight up front that my God's able to deliver us out of your hand. But even if he doesn't, I'm not going to bow down to your image or worship your God because I know who he is. They refuse. And all of a sudden, man, he, they, they play that music, and he, he commands this man, go throw them in that. How many of you have ever been by a hot fire before? I mean hot fire. I ain't talking about no weenie roasting fire. A hot fire. I had a fire going outside our ministry building years ago. I was burning a bunch of wood off back there. We'd had a storm come through, an ice storm that snapped a bunch of limbs. I had it all piled up. Man, I had one cooking. I was putting some more stuff on it, feeding it when the wind shifted. Blew that fire right in my face, and I, I went back like that, walked into the building, and my daughter Bethany looked at me, and she said, oh, Dad, what happened? I thought, what? My eyebrows were singed. Oh, my, my eyelashes had curled up. They, I used to have eyelashes out to here, folks. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> they curled them up, man. They just, she said, Dad, your eyelashes are crusty. And I'm thinking, oh, gosh, man, that don't even sound right. Hot. Everybody say it with me, hot. All of a sudden, man, he throws him in. It killed the men that threw him in. That's hot. He's feeling pretty smug right now. I guess I showed them. I guess they, I taught them a lesson. Can I tell you that if you'll hold on to God and you'll trust him, there's none that can snatch you out of his hand. And all of a sudden, he looked down and he said, hey, 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 hey didn't I throw three guys into that fire? I see four, and they're loose and walking around down there, and one of them looks like the son of God. You may need to hear what I'm going to tell you, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. He will keep you. You know, you'd have thought he'd learned a lesson from that, wouldn't you? How many of you have ever met somebody that was just really thick-headed? I'm not asking you to point at them. How many of you saw them this morning when you looked in the mirror? <laughs> You'd have thought he'd have got it, but he didn't get it. As a matter of fact, Daniel warns him later. He said, Neb, if you don't get your act together, God's going to take you off that throne, man. You, I, I'm telling you, you better humble yourself. And Nebuchadnezzar looks at him, you know, and he hears it, but he, he just throws it off, and then one day he's walking through the palace, and he looks out, and he said, look at this great Babylon that I've made, and it happened. 
for seven years, he became like a beast. He ate grass like an ox, and his fingernails turned in, began to take the shape of the claws of a bird. He was insane. Then all of a sudden, they, they send, he, after seven years, he gains back his sanity. And when he does, this is what he said. Now I praise and glorify and honor the king of heaven. All his acts are just and true, and he is able to humble the proud. Before I knew him, I knew him. I'm telling you that God has a way of showing himself real to us, and we've got to embrace it and thank him for it and let it draw us to him. Hezekiah is facing the king of Assyria. The king of Assyria is threatening him, and they send people in, and they're talking in front of all the people of his kingdom. And Hezekiah's advisor said, don't, don't speak in our native language. Speak in Arabic so that we understand, but not all the people. And those men get arrogant, and he said, didn't I come here for everyone to hear what's going to happen to them? And he starts railing on them. And going off on them. The king of Syria makes this statement to the people. He said, talking, to Hezekiah, or talking about Hezekiah, he said, Don't let him fool you into trusting in the Lord by saying, The Lord will surely rescue us. This city will never fall into the hands of the Assyrian king. He said, Have the gods of any other nations ever saved their people? From the king of Assyria. Hezekiah takes that letter. He laid it before God. Everybody say you just got to give it to God. You ever get in a place where you felt like your hands were tied. You just couldn't do nothing. You're just going to have to trust God. He laid that before the Lord. And he said God. He said he's, he hasn't railed against me. He's railed against you. Don't let him get by with this. Show him who you are. And God himself answers and this is what he says to the king of Syria. But I know you well, where you stay and when you come and go. I know the way that you have raged against me. And because of your raging against me and your arrogance, which I've heard for myself, I will put my hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth and make you return by the same road on which you came. Everybody say, you ain't so bad. Do you understand that we've got to quit trying to do it ourselves, and we've got to st start letting God do it? We are living in an opportune time, my friend. We are in the end of the end times. We have moved, we have fast forward almost overnight and stepped into a prophetic world that we didn't even realize was coming. And now that we're here, what are we going to do? with it are we going to get 
panicky? Are we going to fold under? Are we going to capitulate? Or are we going to stand up and let the world know that there's a God that's alive and well and he loves them and cares for them? Let me tell you something. You've got no enemy that can stand up against God. When all of a sudden they made that declaration against God, that night God sent an angel into their camp and in the morning they counted 185,000 corpses on the ground from that Assyrian army. There's none so fierce that dare stir him up. Your God is able. Everybody say he's more than enough. Listen to David's proclamation. This is in Psalms 19, 1 to 4. The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. They speak without a sound or word. Their voice is never heard, yet their message has gone throughout the earth. And their words to all the world, God has made a home in the heavens for the sun. The heavens declare his glory. Creation testifies to his existence. Paul said they will be without excuse because everything that they see around them points to God. I thought about how that happened for us. Remember my story. Before I knew him, I knew him. Have you ever stepped out on a crisp winter's day? That's your clue in the back. <laughs> have, you, have you ever, I'm going to put a shock collar, but okay. Have you ever, have you ever stepped out on a, on a crisp winter's day and seen the ground covered with snow? What I'm talking about, it's like, it, it, it's like the world has become quiet. And I love snow. Everybody say it with me. I love snow. Okay, say it this way. He loves snow. Oh, come on. Can't you remember when you was a kid? Three pair of corduroy pants. <laughs> Go out there and slide in it all day long. They bury you in the snow. And then you'd, about two and a half, three hours later, you come walking in the house. <laughs> Love that. It testifies to his existence. I have seen grown men. When I was working a job, we had several men that came to work at the place I worked at from Vietnam. They had never seen snow in their life. When it started snowing, I watched these grown men run outside, and they were picking up snowballs and bringing them back in the plant and throwing them. They were like kids. It, they, it, it, was like, it, it was like something brand new. Do you understand? That's how God draws us to him. We see the, oh, man. Honey, I'm going to pick you a bouquet of flowers. <laughs> Spring. A, a multitude of flowers, all different types and sizes. Let me see the other ones. Oh, yeah. 
I walked into a field like that. I was in Colorado, I was writing a book and I needed a break. I rented a Jeep and drove up into the mountains. When I got up into the mountains, they told me, they said, take your time. You don't have to, or take your time, you got plenty of time. I took my time, folks. I walked into those fields and I stood spellbound. I'd never seen anything like that. Oh, I'd seen flowers, but the way God had arranged it. He's got the prettiest flower garden you've ever dreamed of. Just across the hillside and, and, and looking in, and it just takes your breath away. What about the ocean? I've flown over the ocean through the Caribbean and seen so many different hues of blue that it, it was amazing. And then see from the plane, saw huge fish swimming around down there. And I thought, my God, we were on a trip to Alaska. I was in a boat and I look out, the, in a boat, I was in a ship. I look out the window and God is my witness, man. I see a school of killer whales come up like dolphins and coming back like this. My mouth dropped open. I'm trying to find a camera. I'm thinking, man, I've never seen anything like it in my life. I was, we were boarding the ship. I think we were in Sitka, Alaska, I believe. And I got back on the ship and we're getting ready to pull out. And I'm, I'm, I'm leaning over the ship like this and I, I'm looking down. We're still up toward harbor and I see this tail come up out of the water and I'm thinking are you kidding me I've got no camera <laughs> I think they were teasing me man I think it was like <laughs> it, you want to capture it you, but it's God's glory on display I thought about the season we're entering into A lot of times we don't, we don't get the full effect of fall. But when you do, doesn't it make you appreciate it? I've driven across the states before and gone through Pennsylvania to see Niagara Falls, which is beautiful. But I'm telling you, what I saw before I got there was better than the falls. I saw his handiwork on display. Every tree, a cascade of colors. It's as if though he dipped his paintbrush on the palette and began to paint for us a picture that would testify to his existence. You ever see the sun rise and shine bright and just walk out and have you ever done this? Put your face in the sun and absorb its warmth and just think, oh, that feels so good. Have you ever been on a evening where all of a sudden the sun started to set and it looked like the earth was opening up and swallowing it and the hues of those rays coming through and it, there was just a peace that would come over you and it made you think about there's God to be a God and he said that he put the sun in the heavens we don't see it like that we, when we see it, it, it relaxes us and it causes us to be at peace. But if you got close to his handiwork, you'd melt, man. I mean, it would consume you. It's a ball of fire. But he hangs it in space to smile on us. What about a moonlit night? Have you ever been there? 
When all of a sudden you just stand outside. Man, I have gone for walks at night and just looked up and seen the moon. And last night, Debbie was saying, look, I think this is a harvest moon. We were looking at the moon and it was so beautiful. But have you ever seen the moon when it looked like you could drive to it and touch it? I'm telling you, there is something about his glory that radiates from all of creation. What about the northern lights? Have you ever seen God just begin to fill the sky with colors that can't be explained and then it would change and you would sit there and there are no words to describe it it's just you end up stepping back and saying there's got to be a God and if you enter outer space and you begin to go out there there's a constellation of things that's referred to as the eye of God and I'm telling you that he's watching us that he's reaching for us he's saying I love you come to me well I never heard it Open your eyes and look around you. He declares it with every creation, with every sunset, with every sunrise, with every moonlit night. He's saying, I love you. It testifies to his glory. Paul says, we will be without excuse. Before I knew him, I knew him. Paul meets a group of people in Athens And he sees something that triggers him. And this is his conversation with him. It's in the 17th chapter of Acts. So Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. Men of Athens, I notice that you're very religious in every way. For as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines. And one of your altars had this inscription on it. To an unknown God. This God whom you worship without knowing is the one that I'm telling you about. He's a God that made the world and everything in it. Since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples and human hands can't serve his needs for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything. He satisfies every need. From one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. His purpose for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he's not far from any of us. For in him we live and move and exist. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. God's saying, just look around. I'm everywhere. That that you feel inside of you that pulls you to me, it's because I'm your daddy. And I'm calling you home. You don't understand. I, my relationship with my parents wasn't good. He's not your parent. He's your father. Do you understand your earthly father is not God, and God is not your earthly father? He loves you. He thinks about you. He reaches for you. He protects you. He calls you home. I thought about everything we worship. How many of you, don't raise your hand on this, but how many of you have ever worshiped something other than God? Think about it. Let me give you a few things that we tend to worship. Money, got to make that next buck, got to get that going, got to, you know, I'm going to make that corporate ladder. And then we get to the top and find out 
the ladder's been kicked out from underneath us because we're up there all alone. Movie stars. People, <laughs> I don't mean this wrong, but people, you know, oh, he's so cute. Oh, she's so hot. And if you ever met him, most of them wouldn't give you the time of day. And we worship them. We, we follow after them. We, oh, we got pictures of them. They, we get, they sign my name. No, some secretary signed your name. Singers, athletes, even political parties. God help us. Hear me. Especially in the hour that we're living in. We, there is so much, it's, it's, an, it's almost a unhealthy thing that I'm seeing. Because instead of looking to God, on both sides of the aisle, people start looking to their party. Look, God puts men up and he takes them down, but those people are not your savior. They're not going to rescue you. Only God can do that. And if we don't get our focus on him, we're going to be in a mess. So I'm telling you, everybody ought to vote in every election and don't vote your party, vote your conviction. I'm not a Republican. I'm not a Democrat. I'm a child of God and I'm going to vote according to that. Do you understand? I do not have my allegiance is with God. So when I step in that booth, I'm asking God, what do you want? What is it you want me to do? What's the right thing for this nation? We've got to get our focus on him. But we're focused everywhere else. We wear... <laughs> you ever, well, I'm not going to get into that. I think about the, you know, everybody has these, you know, on both sides we got t-shirts and hats and you know, bumper stickers. Put them all over our car. Any of you got a bumper sticker that says honk if you love Jesus? How come I never hear you honking? You know what I'm talking about? It's, it's not about fluff and stuff. It's about a personal relationship with God that transcends everything else around you and draws you to him. He alone is worthy of worship. I, I think about everything around that declares his glory, that speaks to him, and, and he wants our worship. He, he is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the sweet rose of Sharon, the bright and morning star, the lily of the valley, the great I am, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the star of David and the son of God, Emmanuel. God with us, God for us, God beside us, and God in us. And his name is Jesus. Somebody say his name. His name is Jesus. We come into church. Praise the Lord. How are you? We get more excited about toilet paper on the shelf. 
Listen, I'm telling you that it's time for the church to shake off all this residue that we feel getting heaped up on us and stand up and say, God, here I am. Speak to me. Speak through me. Use me, God. Have you, do you want to get a hold of the power of God? Any of you ever got a hold of electricity before? Can I get a witness? I worked in a factory, 15,000 volts, going through what they called a sparker box. The only thing that kept me safe when I was cutting it was it was grounded in the back. I didn't know the ground had come off. And I shouldn't have been using cutters that didn't have rubber handles. I went, and when I did, my hand went. I don't know. I threw those cutters clean across the factory. I mean, and thank God that was the response and it didn't hold me on. I mean, it threw me clean. I threw those things clean across the factory. I got a hold of a box where you test wire, plastic leads, grounded, put it to the copper, check it out. The plastic leads were cracked. I had told them repeatedly, we need new leads. Oh, they're fine. They had rolls of electrical tape taped on them. They're fine. They're fine. I had on leather gloves. I'm back there, and I tested it, and it tested me. All of a sudden, I'm telling you, God is my witness. It's, it felt like a donkey was kicking me in the chest, and I couldn't let go of the box. And all of a sudden, the reason I let go is because I finally collapsed. My legs buckled, and I fell backward and hit the floor, and it pulled me off of that. If it hadn't, I wouldn't be here preaching to you today. I'm talking about power that's unbridled. You've heard me tell the story about this light bulb that you screw in. Go home, take your light bulb out, and put your thumb in. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Those of you watching by television that's, that are on the internet, I didn't say that. I didn't mean it. Let me say it that way. I didn't mean it. I'm under duress right now. <laughs> I'm telling you. You find out why that light bulb lights up. You stick that poor little light bulb in there and it goes, it's just, it's lit, man, it lit me up. God is not some weak, need, sissified. Give me another word. I can think of some, but I just, he, he, he's not. I, I think about people that are serving God, and I'm thinking, man, either they're not serving the same God I am, or, or he's not anemic. He, he, he's not sick. He, he's, he does, he's not diseased. He's well capable of doing abundantly above what we're able to ask or think. So don't you think it's time that we stand up and say, here I am, God, use me. Would you stand with me right now? This is what I want you to do. Here's the whole deal. Sometimes we go to church, but we leave the church when we walk out. You know what I'm talking about? Right here is the church. Everybody say right here. (laughs) 
I met some good Christian folk that could cuss you out. I'm thinking, whoa, where'd that come from? Well, if it's in there, it's going to come out. This isn't about coming to a building, checking in, and then checking out and going on our merry way. This is about a life transformation. It's about I'm not the same as I used to be anymore. You ever, you know, God sees right through us. You know that, right? I mean, he, he can see right, come here a minute, right? Can I borrow you a second? God can see right through us. So if you would stand up here. He sees when I go, man, brother, I love you. You're such a good guy. You, I appreciate you so much. Bless you, praying for you. You do so well. Thank you. Thank you for being up here. I can't stand him. He just really gets on my nerves. God's got your number. Here's the good news. He'll change numbers for you if you let him. <laughs> He'll do that in a heartbeat, in an instant. I'm so glad that I'm not who I used to be. And I have a confession to make to you. And I'm glad that a year from now, I'll be better than I am right now. Because he grows us.